Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Thank God we had an all-star break to maybe hit a reset button, Drew. I don't know. It's just it's good that we got away from the Bulls for just a little bit. It really is. I think the the players on the roster will probably say much of the same thing. Um, we were just talking about how just based off of his introductory press conference, you know, him fielding questions from the local media, there's already like such a nice kind of breath of fresh air from Patrick Beverly, even if he doesn't do much in terms of helping this team get in and stay in the playoff play in race, like just to have him answer questions the way he does and, um, you know, give those great sound sound bites the way he does. Like it just, it's much needed. It's much yeah. needed. So for maybe, maybe for that alone, I'll call his signing a win. It's premature for sure, but just based off the vibes, man, um, coming out of the trade deadline in which obviously there weren't any moves made. The Bulls proceed to lose six straight games after that. You know, they 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 needed something. They needed more than Patrick Beverly, but hey, this is this is who's here. And at least for the moment, um, you know, things feel at least interesting again. Yeah, I mean, there is a sense of intrigue for sure. This was something that might have reignited some of Bulls Nation. I do kind of see some of the takes taking away minutes from some guys, but he definitely at the very least could just light a spark within the next week or two, which I think that'll tell us all we need to know. And again, we, we barred the term. We're not going to use it. I'm not going to say it. If go back and listen to the last episode, but we barred a certain (laughs) term from being used or no, two episodes ago, we barred a term from being used on this show and, you know, it's about changing the, the course of your season, I guess. We're not going to use that term. But at the very least, what it could do is kind of give people the roles they need. And I definitely see the argument for wanting to get Iodosumu minutes. But I think what we've learned is Iodosumu is a role player. And that's great. Like, I want him to be suited in a role where he's coming off the bench, you know, providing a spark, providing energy when he when you need it. But having Patrick Beverly, I think, in that role as a point guard, and hopefully he is the guy that that is the starting point guard. And I know that might tick some people off. I think it might reset people's expectations and roles a little bit. And if we kind of see it, Again, it doesn't have to be what we saw from Lonzo Ball's point guard. But if we just see somebody that's kind of calming things down in a half-court offense, getting the ball to people that need to get the ball, I think that could help a lot. I really do. Now, are they kind of just a lost cause right now, the Bulls? Probably. Like, do I really think this is going to change their, their fortune to the fact that being the the actual playoff picture no do i think it could get him into the play-in probably at that point does that really matter i don't know but if you're just putting it in a vacuum i do think that this could possibly provide them just a little bit of that spark they need yeah i agree and i think 
you know, there was talk about Acme obviously looking at point guards in the buyout market, whether it was John Wall, Russell Westbrook, or now Patrick Beverly. And at least with the latter two, it almost felt more so about the intangible things that they bring to the table, the energy, the sense of urgency that those two guys play with, um, kind of the chip on the shoulder, not afraid to call a spade a spade. It was more so those things, even though they both, to a certain degree, do things on a basketball court that can help a team. It was more so those 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 things that don't show up in in a in a box score or a stat sheet that Acme seemed to be looking for, which is kind of a referendum on how they've built the roster and the players on this roster. Bingo. I'm kind of at the I hate to say it, man, because I'm not I'm not a guy who typically is in favor of losing games, but Salvaging this season, to me, would mean losing as many games possible to ensure that you keep that top four protected pick rather than earning your way into a play-in tournament in which you may have to win two role games to then play one of the big guns in the conference. That's just me. It, It took me a while to get here. You know, for the longest for the longest time, I was looking at where the Bulls were, whether it be the 10th seed, the 11th seed, and then looking at the 6th seed, like, man, they're only three games out. They're only four games out. They're only five games out. Um, they can still do this. But now we're at the point now where there's 23 games left. I believe they have a fairly easy strength of schedule coming up. But we all know at this point in time of the season – that really means nothing because we don't know exactly what we're going to get from this team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 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 it dawned, it dawned on me like, man, they just, it, it, they really could probably do better for themselves if they pivoted to trying to save that draft pick. It's interesting. There are a couple of things that I want to address with what you just said. One, you and I have been very patient all year on this podcast saying, given the fact that you have more evened odds in the lottery now, right? Because of, uh, you know, the, the, ch- the way they changed the lottery odds a couple of seasons ago, it's kind of hard to get in that mold to, to tank. And especially when you have a top four protected pick. So like you might lose out on this if you're five or more, but shit, like in the position you're at right now, do you really want to watch an extra game or two in the play-in or would you rather take that 8% chance or whatever it is, seven and a half percent chance? It's so crazy. It's like a a stat I saw the other day was there's a seven and a half percent chance. I think at getting the number one overall pick versus an 8% chance actually of getting into the play-in tournament or into the playoffs. It might be one of those. I, you think about that, like, at this point, we're splitting hairs at getting into the playoffs versus the number one pick. So at this point, I'd rather go take my swing at getting into the the top four than waiting around for meaningless basketball. Because really, at the end of the day, like, okay, great. You you got in the plan. And even if you get out of the plan, you think you're going to have a shot in a seven-game series? No. I'd rather take my swing at the lottery. 
Um, but the yeah. other thing that you said that um, uh, crap, I forgot about it. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> I remember there was another thing I was going to unpack from from what you said. Was it the roster but construction? I, yes, roster construction. Yes. So this whole scenario that played out, right? The whole idea of continuity in the offseason, preaching that and and letting it play its course as long as they did into the trade deadline, not doing anything at the deadline. And then you see what happens coming right out of the deadline. They continue a losing streak, lose six straight. It's fitting. It's fitting for everything that, that you saw potentially coming, right? Like we sat here in the off season talking about the makeup of this team. And I might've felt maybe a little dirtier at the beginning of the off season, maybe than you did. And I, I just felt like, I, I felt like more moves had to be made. And I thought it, it had to be moves on the, on the fringes, you know? So it's just, um, I don't know. It, it's upsetting because you kind of saw some of this happening and unfolding and, and nothing was being done about it. I think that's what, confuses you too because this was such a proactive front office when they got in the door you know they were so quick to make moves right their first trade deadline 2021 they strike with the vooch move whatever you whatever you want to say about the vooch trade and believe me the with the way this roster was set up that trade really kills you now but they were aggressive right from that point and that offseason were very aggressive. But then the 2022 trade deadline to the present, it's been no moves to kind of course correct or make changes. And it's disappointing. And one thing that, that really disappointed me, Drew, too, is I, Shams Tarania was on the Mullion Hall show on 670 of the score. Um, and one of the things that he said was in regards to Lonzo ball. And he said that with Lonzo, that the pain had started to come back um, when he got back on the court after his procedure in September. So that like right there to me is a red flag. If you're the front office and you know that it, you know, unless it was kept a secret, I'm assuming that was conveyed. So at that point, why aren't you starting to think of plan B? Like, did you really think plan B would have been good enough to say, hey, you know what? I would assume Goran Dragic, you know, this is this is yours until maybe like at that point, if that was happening, then, you know, it's going to be a long while until Lonzo comes back. It's not going to be just a month or two months. It's going to be longer than that. And to think that Io and Goran Dragic are going to hold down the fort and it makes no sense at all. So that's a little little confusing. So that, that also plays into your roster construction. You have to be flexible. You have to pivot when things go wrong. I don't understand how you could be a GM in the NBA. You could be an executive in the NBA and sit there and think, well, you know what? I'm going to go with a second year guy and a 36 year old point guard. And, and we'll be all set. When clearly you saw as, as the year wore on last year without Lonzo, Things did not run as smoothly. So why would that 
get any better this year. I don't understand that at all. You're right. There were some definitely been some missteps, um, even in the sense of certain resources. And one thing we talked about this: certain resources that they had at their disposal, but decided not to use for whatever reason. Um, you know, the mid-level exception. Um, I'm sorry, the trade exception that with the Daniel Tice trade, um, things of that nature, where it seemed like there were there were moves or at least avenues to make moves to try to better improve this roster that weren't taken advantage of. Um, to your earlier point, according to Basketball Reference, as of today, the Bulls have a 20.4 percent chance of Securing the tenth seed, mm. according to Tankathon, the Bulls have a thirty-two percent chance of keeping their pick, hmm. aka getting in that top four uh, in the draft lottery, and a seven and a half percent chance of landing Victor Wembanyama. Okay, so of getting a basically getting the number one pick that's where the the odds are thin i think and that that's the weird part like shit i'd rather take my swing at that at this point i'm hey man i I know it's i know it's not a great chance of it happening but i'm right there with you and it's, it's gotten to the point now where if the bulls were to somehow secure a home play in tournament game Mm-hmm. I would advocate for fans to boycott that game mm. because uh, you if, know, it, if the front office is all about, hey, we want to, we want this this revenue from postseason basketball games. Okay, you really want this revenue? That's, I think, a way that you maybe can make a statement. I don't know if that would be the move that would spark some sort of real change within the front office, but. Mm. How would it look? How would, I'm sorry, how would the front office, how would Jerry Reinsdorf and Michael Reinsdorf feel? Like, is that a big enough embarrassment for them, for the for their team to get a home playing tournament game and to, for it not to sell out or for it to be so many thousands of fans from selling out? Well, okay, so that's an interesting point you bring up because this has been, I think, a, a common talking point with, bulls twitter right and we've seen some of our you know fellow podcasters bring this up that really the issue lies at the feet of ownership right now with jerry and michael reinsdorf because clearly they've only gone into the luxury tax once you and i were talking about that offline like that's they've only done it once and before the season you could have argued it this was the time to go back into the luxury tax, right? You just got into the playoffs, sixth seed. You had a solid season, but clearly there was more moves that need to be made, right? And in order to get to that upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, you could argue that there need to be upgrades, probably backup point guard spot, upgrades in terms of shooting. I mean, that's clearly evident. And that's just, I think, gross negligence on Acme's part. So in order to do maybe some of that, 
more money had to be spent. Now, if we were to inject Acme with truth serum, are these moves they really want to make, or is there a mandate that they're hamstrung in terms of what they can spend or who on the roster can actually stay or go? You know, sometimes we always hear this, like, are the Reinsdorfs cool with pushing moves that they know could intrigue the fan base? Like having a DeMar DeRozan, having a Zach Levine, having a Nikola Vucevic, you know, bigger name players, making sure that they stay relatively competitive. So do they maybe want to make some moves that, could shake up the, the roster a little bit, but do the Reinsdorfs want to run this back and, and make only slight moves around the margins and affordable moves around the margins? Because that changes everything. Because you can make moves around the margins with this current core, but it would cost you a lot of money. Like, it would. You know, they, they, they operate as an over-the-cap team to get DeMar DeRozan to get Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. So... If you want to keep adding, I mean, you have to get creative and you probably have to dip into the luxury tax, which I guess they don't want to do. So, look, I'm with you. I'm I'm one of those people that thinks you have to sometimes show ownership that you're not happy as a fan. But it's hard to tell fans how to be fans. And I, I think everybody kind of does it differently, you know. But it, in this case, it might show ownership. That, hey, this, this is not the route that we want to go. And it might also say to them, you need to change the way you do business. And maybe maybe you do need to let Acme do the work they actually want to do. Because I, I still, I'm kind of conflicted on that. Like, I, there is part of me that thinks there are moves they would love to make, but are hamstrung and just not able to do it under the current ownership model. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you asked... Uh when you first started making your point about if the moves that they're making are moves that they want to make, or, or are they making these moves because of a, you know, some sort of um, a mandate from above their heads. I think they're making the moves they want to make knowing that there's only so much money that they'll be able to play around with. Um, like I think they wanted Nikola Vucevic. I think they wanted, you know, going Dragic and Andre Drummond, even though, you know, they were also trying to get Danilo Gallinari. Like, I think they wanted to make these moves, um, but I think they are operating under the premise or the steadfast hardline rule that they are not going to be able to do anything with this roster that requires the Ryan's doors to go into the luxury tax. I think that's, that's what it is right now. And I'm at the point now also where the one guy that I wanted them to be this, wanted them to be the slowest to try to trade is now looking like the one guy they may have to trade in order to really kind of get something shaking because you lost the opportunity to trade Nikola Vucevic. So he can, he can leave if he wants to. DeMar DeRozan, his trade value is not going to be higher this offseason than it just was this past deadline. You know, 
um, coming off this hip injury, not knowing what that means for the rest of this season or the season uh, coming up. So do you push yourself in a position now where you have to trade Zach Levine, the guy you just gave a $212 million max contract to in order to get back enough assets to not only replenish or kind of restock your, your draft assets, but also kind of get some players that um, can help get this thing moving in a better direction at some point, you know, you're not going to win the trade necessarily. Cause, cause you know, even on his worst day, Zach Levine is still a fringe all-star on his best day. He's a fringe all NBA basketball player, if not a all NBA basketball player. Um, but I feel like that's the route they would have to go. And if you, know, you trade that, why don't you just trade tomorrow too? You know? Yeah. I, shit. This summer, I'm leaving the door open for trading DeMar DeRozan. I'm leaving the door open for trading Zach Levine. And, you know, heck, I'm trying to see if Nikola Vucevic eyes a, an over-the-cap team and you do a sign-and-trade. I mean, that that's a possibility, too. You know, I mean, think about it. That's how the, the Bulls did lose some first-rounders. So... <laughs> You know, it, it opens up an, an opportunity for you to kind of hit reset. And, and look, if you can't do it with Vooch, DeMar, for sure, I think you you have to move from. If you get that offer that the Knicks reportedly were giving the Bulls, I consider that. If you're getting three first-round draft picks and you're going to get Obi Toppin, younger, athletic player, and you could get – a the one of the players being rumored or the one I guess that the bulls were trying to get was like a quit and grimes. Yeah. I mean, shit, if you, if you could pull that off done, done, I co-sign on it. I've been with you all season long on Zach that I wouldn't necessarily trade Zach, but if those are the kind of packages you can get and look, I, I think it only gets better in the off season. Yeah. So if, if there's one thing maybe Patrick Beverly can do, get on Zach's ass. Like he said he was going to do. And do the job that, that you're going to do as a facilitator. Get him the ball. And hopefully he just has this insane post-All-Star break resurgence that makes people say, you know what? I'm willing to sweeten the deal. I'd be 100% on board with that. Now, you know what? If he plays well enough, though, and you see what he can be with the, you know, the true point guard by him, then... Hey, like I'm open to keeping him. I just want to see like what can Acme do to reset this roster. If they have other routes to do it, great. But it is going to take creative tools, and that's the thing though. Like you and I are both looking at this as might have to include going over the cap, getting creative a little bit. And here's the thing: the front office has demonstrated being creative. The one thing Garpax never was was creative. They never operated over the cap. They never made sign and trades. Nothing like that. Bulls prove that they can do that. This brain trust proved they can do it. But what we don't know is what can they do to operate over the cap? Because I, I feel like what we're doing as a, as a franchise here, what the Bulls are doing, trying to skip steps. Okay, we're trying to get like lucky. That's it, And that's been like the way the Bulls have always been viewing getting into championship contention. I, I feel like, you know, you start with Derrick Rose. It's like, let's get lucky. Let's go land a star, right? They got lucky. They got the number one overall pick. They get Derrick Rose. And even after that, if you can't remember, it's like, oh, what's the two guard we can pair Derrick Rose with? 
They got lucky with Jimmy Butler. The only problem was their timelines did not cross because once Derrick Rose got hurt, Jimmy Butler started ascending. Yeah. And you think about it, like their their model has always been get lucky. Uh, it, that doesn't work in the NBA. You can and th- this is what fr- I think frustrates me a lot. You can fail at your first attempt to build a playoff contender or a title contender. It's how quick do you take to pivot? Because let me tell you, that's the best thing in the NBA. The trade market is your friend in the NBA. And I don't understand how – I don't understand how you – know, look, Jerry Reinsdorf's kind of on his own island. I don't know if he's even paying attention to basketball that much. He's, he's so consumed by baseball. So, Michael Reinsdorf, are you not paying attention? Are you not paying attention? I know he had that interview with, with KC where he talked about that they would spend money if you know, they're competitive. But are they really looking at it as well if we're title contending competitive? Like, and that's you're not going to get there though. Like you, you have to spend to even get to that mark. So I don't know what they're waiting for. Like they're skipping. I said this in a previous episode to you. They want to get from point A to point C. Like you got to get to point B. Mm. You know, you're not even close to that yet. So and only thing I'll say in, in their defense is. With with Lonzo Ball's situation being very much up in the air, if I'm an owner, I'm not sure if I'm willing to go into luxury tax for this roster now either. I think the question or the time to for them to have considered that would have been last season had Lonzo not gotten hurt and you kind of get up into that all-star break-ish, I'm sorry, in, into the trade deadline area where you're thinking about how, what you can do to improve the team, that would have been the time to, hey, okay, this team is battling in the first place of the Eastern or battling for first place in the Eastern Conference. They're rocking and rolling. What can we do to improve this team? You know, mm-hmm. should we go into the luxury? That, was the, that would have been the time to push more chips into the middle of the table on this team. You're 100% right about that because if you look back at that point – you know, they're, I think, tied for first or they're close to it. I, you know, they were in the driver's seat for a little bit. And then that's when they started to fall back was around that time getting into the all-star break. And at that point, though, I remember kind of saying this to when I was having guests on the podcast. And, and I was even telling my friends, though, the same thing that, you know, they're playing really well, but when is the rest of the Eastern conference elite going to start putting their foot on the gas a little more? Because that was my concern is the bulls were kind of operating at somewhat of a full throttle. And when were the other teams in the East going to start operating at full throttle? Remember Boston at that point was struggling a little bit. Um, The nets had struggled all season and you just kind of had this feeling like, okay, at some point, is Milwaukee, is Boston, when they put their best out there, is that going to be good enough to beat them? You yeah. know, the Sixers, same there. So you're right. Like at that point, maybe that's where you say, you know what? We're going to actually, we're going to add a couple more pieces or whatever, just to make sure that we can stay competitive against the, those teams. And that way, you have a scenario where you get into the off season this summer and it's only maybe about finding a replacement for Lonzo ball, or maybe you don't even need to find somebody to replace Lonzo ball. 
at that point. Maybe you you find a rhythm at that point that you can actually have something that's worth staying the course with and and continue with continuity into the um, next season. Yeah, and you know this is you know hindsight is always twenty twenty, but just given what we talked about with them only going into the tax once and, you know, I don't want to call them lucky in getting Michael Jordan because they had to select them, right? So they selected Michael Jordan. He did what he did. They selected Derrick Rose. His tra- trajectory looked to be Hall of Fame, still could be. Um, we'll see. But knowing that, and again, this is hindsight, you almost wish with Victor Wimanyama coming up, somebody who's supposed to be a generational and a half talent that they would have began tanking much sooner because of the only way they're going to really compete with the big boys in the NBA is to get, you know, these, these superstar players um, through the draft. That was, that was the guy to get, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that's, like I said, uh, there's probably no way in hell they were going to go into this season with that kind of mentality, um, especially given what Acme gave up to get Vucevic and trying to somehow even out how that trade looks. Um, that wasn't going to happen, but just kind of you, you got me thinking about that in terms of, you know, who's been on this roster since they've, since Jerry Reinsdorf has owned this team and, you know, how that's kind of correlated to how well they've done or how poorly they've mm-hmm. done. Yeah. And it's, it's a fair point that some fans bring up out of frustration is the luck card that Jerry Reinsdorf's had the moment he bought the team, right? He bought a team that had Michael Jordan. And then after Jordan left it, you they were in the desert for seven years before the whole baby bulls thing. And even that had its shelf life. And, you know, with Derek, it's luck, but then it's kind of like they get lucky, but then they also get snake bitten. And part of that I think is just kind of cutting corners in certain parts. Like if I'm, (laughs) if I'm the Reinsdorf's right now, if I'm Acme, I am right now saying we really need to do a deep dive of our health and sports science department. Like, what the hell keeps going on with this franchise and knee injuries? Or any basic operations turn into just absolute disasters. At this point, man, you should be pumping tons of money into that. But that's also Bulls and and White Sox. That's a Reinsdorf problem with not spending money in other areas of the organization. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of them changing their front office structure was they were changing that too was spending money in areas of, you know, scouting and player development. But I mean, there's even that, like as Bulls fans, it's, it's crazy how much things have changed in the last year, because now we're starting to question player development. We're questioning the sports science aspect or the uh, medical front of the Bulls. We're questioning coaching with Billy Donovan, which a year ago, I never thought we would have gotten to this point this quickly 
with him. I thought maybe his act would have worn thin after, you know, a couple of first round, second round exits in the playoffs. But we're questioning it after just one year of postseason basketball, two seasons on the job. Well, now this is his third. But think about that. Like, we're already starting to question these things. And yeah. <laughs> we are, and, and the stat that I had brought up earlier, I, mean, I found it. It was from Will Gottlieb. And it, that was the 7.5%, like you had said, about getting the number one pick. The 8% was making the actual playoffs. So not the play-in, mm-hmm. but the playoffs. Okay? Wow. So when you – the fact that we are now at a point where we are – Bulls Nation is torn between 0.5% and we're starting to have this discussion about making the playoffs or, or winning a lottery, man, we are in a – a real shitty spot. We are in a real <laughs> shitty spot. And you know, I keep saying it's frustrating and I'm sure there might be like a tally of, of listeners saying, okay, he said it's frustrating. How many times that's just like the likes, ums, and you knows you could do that count too, but <laughs> counting how many times I've said it's frustrating. It is. It's, it's, it's sad because, and again, I'm repeating myself on this too, but, you kind of felt it. You've been you've been sensing it brewing since, even if not in the off season. It started brewing in like November, after the first few weeks of the season, where you're like, "Shit, this is not it." You know, <laughs> we talk about that like loss to the Denver Nuggets at home, and I was there for that game. It's been like since that moment, you're like, "Okay, there's something rotten here. Something's just not right," mm-hmm. and. That's at that point, either you pivot to, you know, I don't know if it's tanking because it's it's easy to say now, especially in the position we're in. But man, at the very least at that point, that should have been when you you started to make your assessment of what you can do to improve the roster, because there was never going to be a a Lonzo Ball return that quickly. And Lonzo Ball is sort of like a unicorn with this roster set up. So how do you? change things up on the fly, right? It's disappointing that they didn't see this coming, or if they did see it coming, they just didn't have enough urgency or enough wiggle room to make that happen because of of where ownership sets these pretend mandates. Yeah, and you wonder how those mandates will affect what they do this offseason. You know, is 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 it going to be okay to deal, Zach? Um knowing that that may cause a ripple effect where this team, you know, takes an even greater step back from last season. Well, and at that point, they're going to have a a pick in 2024. How's that draft looking? You know, I'm not quite sure about, I don't know. know. What are we going to do? Get Bronny James? (laughs) You know, I'm not in shame on me. I'm not much of a, I'll be honest, like I do pay attention to college basketball on my in-depth on who are the top prospects. Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it, it stinks. And it does kind of put things into perspective. Like they clearly did believe in Nikola Vucevic to make the trade they made. Um, looking back on it, how things have shaken out in the last couple of seasons since that trade was made, you realize like, damn, they really shouldn't have put top four protections on that pick. Like, for the last couple of seasons, like one maybe could have been a top four protected, maybe the one from, you know, 2021 
They could have put top four protection on that. But, I mean, shoot, they should have at least put, like, top ten protection, like, lottery protected. I mean, they must have been pretty confident. But at the very least, like, you you realize, like, they really screwed that up. Because he was was an all-star caliber player, but not an elite level player. I think we all knew that at the time. But we were, I think we were all kind of juiced at that point. I know I was. So, like, I kind of threw caution to the wind thinking, okay, they really must be ready to pounce on something big. When that yeah, was, so. I was happy they traded for, for Vooch, too. Um, I think I was in the moment, in the in the immediate aftermath of the trade, very naive about how costly those picks would be. Um, and although we can kind of nitpick about what Acme gave up to get him, the luck, the, the amount of bad luck, the amount of things that needed to not go their way, that didn't go their way, for this thing to just be so lopsided in Orlando's favor, you know, not making the play-in or the playoff, uh, playoffs after trading for Vucevic with Zach getting COVID late in the season and them not being able to play together on the floor uh, much um, after the trade deadline. Um, Lonzo getting hurt, Caruso in and out of the lineup, Patrick Williams getting hurt last season. Like it's like, man, <laughs> somebody yeah. somebody's got voodoo doll and just is going to town. That's true, and like you're right. Part of it is they've just had some bad luck since that trade. But I guess part of that is sort of just your roster construction also didn't help with this. Uh, the 2021 season, I do agree with you on that. Like the Zach getting COVID and them falling out of the playing tournament down the stretch. That was kind of rough. Um, and especially with like the way the roster was constructed at that point, they had just built the team that, Hey, let's get this team competitive because they're uh, you know, it's, it's Zach. want to see how he develops. I want to see how Kobe white develops. You know, it, it was sort of a different situation. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for the play. And why not? Um, but him getting COVID and stuff didn't help that. And but this time around, it's all because of just how they've set this roster up. This is a, a prime example of why sometimes in the NBA, it's not as easy as go find stars, roll out the ball and tell them to play. Like you just, you have to have a method behind roster construction, mm-hmm. you know, and you're talking to a guy who loves star power, right? Like how many, how many times on this podcast have I brought up making trades for, for superstars and right. lining yourself up to be attractive all the time, but <laughs> You do have to have a level of, of finding pieces that fit. And clearly, three ball-dominant guys who each have to have touches, like it just doesn't work, I guess. And the only person that made it work was Lonzo Ball. Uh, and I don't know how, just I think the, the presence he brings in pushing the ball up the floor, in keeping things calm in the half court, and that necessarily wasn't his M.O. before he got here. A lot of people told told you he's a guy who in the half court moves without the ball around the three-point line but maybe that's what made it work you know he just had constant energy he's he's just he was and as of today would have been still the only player on the roster who's a plus on both ends you're not losing anything on the offensive Mm -hmm. side of the ball when he's there or on the defensive side of the ball when he's there i don't know that you can Necess- you know, God bless Alex Caruso. I think he's still um, 
leads the team in plus minus, maybe him and Javante Green, but you know, they have their limitations too with and with Lonzo. It's just there's so much that he does that no one on this team can quite replicate. Yeah. No, you're right. And it sucks that he's uh, not here because there, there was a video going around that somebody posted. Of, I'm trying to remember who posted on Twitter. Um, but it was right after the announcement came out from the Bulls that they were shutting him down for the rest of the season. And you watch all the highlights and you just see what he brought to the the team offensively, defensively, making key plays and key moments. But you also saw how the entire roster, how the whole bench how the guys on the floor fed off of it. And I don't think I would have predicted that when they made that, that signing, you know, I liked Lonzo ball and I thought he'd be a great addition, but I didn't really think it would be this major of an impact. That tells you a lot, you know, about about him as a player. You know, obviously winning makes things much easier, but I don't think I had ever seen a team hug each other as as much as the Bulls um, in the midst of those first, I don't know, what it was, 35 games that he yep. played last season, somewhere in there. So the vibe well, was just on another level. Well, might have been why they had a COVID outbreak <laughs> because they were <laughs> hugging so much. But no, you know what's funny about that, though? With the whole COVID outbreak, they still held, held down the fort. They still mm-hmm. managed to get through it. Like that's – that's the most mind blowing thing of it is they were able to be sustainable during all of that. And, you know, again, the, the tough thing for them was beating the top teams in the NBA last year, you know, this year they've had this like bizarro kind of twist, but I think the part of that goes into maybe they just didn't have enough talent to stack up. Now they're sort of like your standard team that floats around 500, you know, Mm gets really high up for these big games and probably in moments when those teams, like, I hate to say it now, like probably most of those teams are like, Oh, we're playing the Bulls. I was going to say the same thing. How much of that is like the other teams playing down, you know, you don't, you don't, see, I I even hate saying that because you don't want to take credit away from these guys. Like they're not showing up to work to lose, Mm -hmm. but you know, it, it does, reek of the other team, the other the other opponents not necessarily taking the Bulls as seriously, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's these are now fair questions to ask. Like, the Bulls don't have the benefit of the doubt right now with any of us. So these questions are fair game until they prove otherwise. You know, yeah. prove us wrong. Before we wrap up here, Drew, like, I don't even want to really do the exercise anymore of going through the schedule. Like whatever it, it is, what it is. Like, I don't even care if they, if they win a few lose, like whatever. How about this? Let me put you on the spot a little bit. Instead sure. of, instead of what we normally do, I'll just ask you this one simple question. Okay. Do they put it into the season long six game losing streak Friday at home against Brooklyn? Yes. I agree. Yeah. I think the Patrick Beverly surge is going to happen this weekend at, cause they're two home games. I do think against Brooklyn and Washington, I, I think these could be two, two wins that'll get some of us geeked up, 
maybe get the Bulls a little, you know, puffy chested. But then we'll see. Will will they come back down the earth like they usually do, or does the Pat Beverly experience continue? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I do I'm think it will happen those first two. So you're you're on the same page with me? I am. Especially about this first game coming out of the All-Star break. I feel, I feel like, again, Patrick Beverly's bringing a new wave of, of fresh energy. They're going to be at home. Guys have been resting. Um, I think they come out and, and get a W. may not be pretty, but they'll get a W. And look, like, you know, it's funny. Like, the, the whole thing about winnable games on the schedule, you can't even really say that with this team because – Casey Johnson said it best, his appearance on the on 670, the score on Mully and Haw earlier this week. He's like, hey, pff, other teams around the league are looking at, at that too, the low teams. Hey, that's a winnable game against the mm-hmm. Bulls. But, you know, you, you do have some winnable ones coming up here before you get, you know, the Suns, I mean, like the Nuggets you got coming up in a couple weeks. So, you know, there, there's some tough games on there. Don't get me wrong, but you do have some that – you could win, but again, like right now, we're going to be in a mold where every episode I think here on out drew is going to be really probably focused on the long term, and probably I hate to say it, like waiting out the season. But now, you as Bulls fans listening to this podcast, why would you want to listen? Well, we're going to be here still to provide you therapy, right? And we're going to have some guests on that certainly can give you some insight and also talk you through some of this because sometimes that's the best thing, like. I don't know about you. I love listening. A lot of Bulls podcasts out there. I love listening to them question some of the things that are going on here and, and talk about ways to, to get through it. So yeah. there's a know. lot of, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different viewpoints, people looking at this team and, you know, coming to their own conclusions. So I'm, I'm definitely with you there. Definitely with you there. And, you know, hey, Drew and I, we're going to continue to react to to what we're seeing on the court. And like we said, it might be a more long-term outlook, though. And that's fine. So for those long-term outlooks, you know where to follow us. You follow me at mgenteel88 on Twitter. Follow Drew at Look What Drew Did. The Rebuildable Podcast is available on Twitter at Rebuild underscore A underscore Bowl. You can find us on all the major streaming platforms. You know them, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, anywhere where you stream your podcasts, you can find Rebuildable. Like, subscribe. That way you can get the latest episodes immediately right to you when you want it. And that's that's important in, in this world, right? You need to get it when you want it. So mm-hmm. any last thoughts, Drew, real quick? Not, not really, man. Just just want to see what, what this team looks like coming out of the All-Star break with a player who promises to speak up about what he sees, what he feels. So things are going to be interesting one way or the other. Absolutely. And he's probably going to be speaking his mind the way that Bulls fans wish they could speak their minds if they were sitting on the bench. Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting. So with Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.